open up your, your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, and we will be picking right back up where we left off in, in the ministry here, or in the, in the teachings here, of the, here at this ministry. So we call it more tabernacle, but it's really more tabernacle instructions that God is giving us here. Because we need to remember that every part of the tabernacle that we have gone through in details, going through each of those elements, the tabernacle is both pictures and points to Jesus Christ we see in the New Covenant or under the New Testament. So always keep that in mind as we've gone through each of those elements that God heavenly described that needed to be built for the tabernacle itself and all the furnishings, all of that is a picture and points to Jesus Christ that we see played out in the New Testament and we will see in heaven. So you must make those connections and go back and re-go through those to make those connections because God here is literally showing us in the Old Testament heavenly things. And we need to continue to look at that. And as we continue with more tabernacle, we will see some more of the furniture here or the elements of furnishings in this tabernacle. And we see the altar of incense is no exception here. So in Exodus chapter 30 verses 1 through 5, we see the making of the altar of incense. Now keep in mind, in context here, what, where is this all taking place? Don't forget, Moses right now is in the midst of the clouds in the top of the mountain right there where God is. And God is literally giving him instructions point by point of what the tabernacle and all the furnishings were to look like and to be built. They haven't been built yet. These are just instructions over 40 days period of time that Moses is with God in the cloud while everyone else in the congregation of the Israelites and everyone else is on the base of the mountain, remember. And he's sitting there, and that's why getting the Ten Commandments was not taking 40 days. The Ten Commandments was given in probably just minutes. It was the details of the actually detailed layout of the blueprints of what he was to make once they get back down to the bottom of the mountain and then start building this tabernacle. That How was that going to be built and what it was supposed to look like? So that's what took time for them to do this. And here we see the altar of incense. He says, you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it, it, make it of acacia wood, and a cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width, and it shall be square. Two cubits shall be its height, its uh, horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay, it, overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. You shall make, it for it, make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. And you shall place them on its two sides. And, and they sh will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. So we see this element is basically 18 inches in square and about 3 feet high. So it's this little tiny thing here that is made of acacia wood and coated with pure gold. 
And then like the other elements that we saw, like the table of showbread and the brazen altar and the Ark of the Covenant, they were to create these golden rings on both sides to put the poles through that were also coated in gold so that it could be picked up and moved accordingly. Are you with me? You're tracking. So this is important because this is the altar of incense. This is where God was going to have them, as we will see right here in verse 6. What was the use of the altar of incense? It says right here, God says to Moses, he says, And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony. So remember, you had the bigger outer curtains where you walked into the grounds, the main courtyard. Once you do that, then you go down to the very end and you get to the point where there's the veils that were the thick veils before you go into the holy place. Then there was another veil. And just before that veil, we're going to see is where this, this altar of incense sits prior to going into the actual most holy of holies where God dwells on the mercy seat between the cherubims. Are you tracking with me? So can you picture, the? I don't have the map up this time, of the layout, but remember, it's just before you're going in there, they're going to burn incense. And we're going to see the details here. So as it's going to place just before the Ark of the, Covenant, uh, Ark of the Testimony, just before they go in through the veil to go into the Most Holy of Holies. Not in the Most Holy of Holies, but in the holy place, right? Before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you, and Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. Every morning, those high priests and those priests were to go in there and burn incense, a sweet aroma, to God. Every morning. It's a sweetness there. When he tends the lamps, so remember the lampstands were also in the holy place on the left-hand side. And, you sh and he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron's lights the lamps at twilight, so even in the evening when he comes in to light the lamps, he is also to burn incense on the, this altar as well. And he shall burn his incense on it and a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. So this wasn't a one-time deal. This was to go from generation upon generation upon generation as we know. And you shall not offer strange incense on it. So you couldn't just, these high priests and the priests could not just go in there and burn anything any way they want to and do whatever they want to do. They had to do it exactly the way God has told Moses to do it. And from generation upon generation, they were continuing to be supposed to do it that way. If not, you shall not offer strange incense. Don't go making your own formula and doing it your own way here because what is says or a burnt offering or a grain offering nor shall you pour a drink offering on it so you're not to add or delete what i'm telling god says is telling moses to tell the people has to be according to it is and an errand shall make atonement upon its horns once a year the day of atonement this is what he's talking about once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement and once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations it is most holy to the Lord. <laughs> when you hear those words, it's most holy to the Lord, take note. This is like high on the list of God's priorities. Very high on God's priorities. Because the altar of incense stood outside of that veil of the holy place, not in the most holy place, but they were so close to the ark of the 
testimony or another name, Ark of the Covenant, that it was only separated by that veil, but they had to light the incense before they went in. The high priest goes into the most holy place. And it was like the holy place of the tabernacle here is just inside there where the golden lampstand is and the, and the table of showbread. Remember, the table of showbread represented communion with God. Remember the bread, the 12 loaves from representing each of the tribes? And then you had the lampstands that spoke to the actual testimony or the light to the world. Remember the lampstand represented the light, that there were to be a light to this world that God wanted them to be? And now this golden altar speaks of the offering or the adoration or deep love you have for God. So those three elements that are in the holy place are very, very important. You have the, that, that bread of life, that, that communion with God. You had the lamp to be a light for God. And there has to be this deep love or adoration for God. That's what it is to, ha to have a holy life or to, to live a holy life. Do you commune with God? Are you a light uh, that God uses to, through your life Does He, because he's inside you? Are you a light to the community that you live in? And the question is, do you have a deep love for God? Making the connections. Make the connection because this is what God is showing them in the, in, the, in, the, in the desert here. And he shows it as a representation or a picture pointing for our, what our lives are to be like in our relationship with God directly. So here at also mentioned in these verses 6 through 10, he talks about the high priest will come in and they will be sprinkled it uh, will be doing some sprinkling here of that blood once a year and that sprinkled throughout this, this tabernacle on the furnishings and on the, on the tabernacle itself is reminders of the purpose of the tabernacle. It was a place for man to meet with God. That's why God had it made. So people would gather and come to meet with God. Just like we with church today. We come here. Yes, we can meet God every day. Throughout the day, he's always with us. But we still have the ability to come together and meet with God as we hear his word spoken. And he's, he's, where two or more gather together, he's what? He's amongst us. There in the desert, he created the tabernacle for a place for them to come to meet with God because God was present right there among the cherubim on the mercy seat. And when they lit this incense, this sweet incense every morning and at night, Aaron, these priests, were instructed to make sure that they did it exactly according to the, as their duties every morning and every night. They were to do it according to God's way. And what is this incense? This incense is a picture of prayer. Make that note. The incense, the burning of the sweet incense, is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It's our prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma to our Heavenly Father when we pray. So when we see this incense burning, it's a sweetness of its smell, and it's a way it ascends into heaven. We also see it in the New Testament, do we not? Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, which we will see this coming Wednesday as we talk about the prayers that we lift up and we worship Jesus. In 5, 8, it says the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints being lifted up to God in heaven. 
So not only when we say, oh, did you pray about this? So many times we are so cavalier like it's no big, oh, yes, yes, mom, I prayed about it. Yes, dad, I, I prayed about it. Or yeah, I, I'll pray for you. We act like it's almost like it's no big deal that we're praying. Do you realize it's, a, it's like a bowl of incense to our heavenly father when we pray that it's a sweet smelling aroma and he takes in of what you're saying to him? Of what you're saying about him? About your true, deep love for him and, and his grace and his mercy that he's poured out upon your lives? Do you know when you pray and, and you just lift your hands up and your voice up and your mind up and with everything you have and, and praising him of what he has done in and through your life? Do you know when you sit there and you say, I'll pray for you, brother? <laughs> how, how so common you sometimes we do that because you don't know what else to say so it's so so it's a go-to it's like a kid in 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 the nursery who made the cookies jesus you know yes you're right jesus put on your heart of your mom to make the cookies but yes everything seems to answer be jesus and if you don't know what to say to someone and it's really awkward situation you go oh i'll pray for you but do you realize how god sees prayer when you intercede in intercessory prayer for someone else, that it's a sweet-smelling aroma to our Heavenly Father when we do this? Are you with me? Because this is what we're seeing here. It's an emphasis, and it's a picture, and it points to Jesus. And this altar was to take these people to bring them to God, and then from God to lift up as they burn the incense. They're burning the incense to, to praise and honor and glorify their heavenly Father, who's just on the other side of that veil, dwelling right there, the Lord dwelling amongst the cherubim. That's amazing picture, right? And at the time... Only the high priest could go in there. For you and I, we can boldly go into that throne. Amen? We get to boldly go into that throne because Jesus made a way for us to do that. Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4 describes the golden altar of incense stands standing before God's throne. It says, Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. My brothers and sisters, be men and women of prayer. We must be as a congregation a place of prayer. And we must put more emphasis on that because there's where the power is. And that's where our Heavenly Father breathes in what we have lifted up to Him. And how important that is for our life. Incense speaks of the prayers of our Savior on our behalf. The intercessory prayers ministry is so important on behalf of other people. And incense was a burning at the altar. It showed this, this form of this, this, the prayer requires sacrifice. They were to, to come and burn the, uh, the incense on the, on the altar. It was a form of 
morning and night they were to sacrifice or to do this for the Lord. How does that translate for you and I? Because if you, if you haven't experienced this as a believer yet, the hardest thing for you to do as a Christian, as a true believer, born-again believer, is what? Prayer. That is the hardest thing for you to do is to pray. Truly pray. Why? I believe it's because Satan opposes it so vehemently. Why? Because that is when we are the most closest to our Heavenly Father, and that is when we are the most powerful and filled with power to do what God's called or will call us to do. Are you with me? I hope you're tracking with me. Because if you don't understand prayer, you're going to have a very difficult Christian life. You will go, you'll be swayed by emotions and not be grounded in understanding that God hears all things. He sees all things. He's all present. And that when you spend the quiet time with God, he hears you and it's a sweet smelling aroma. That you, when you honestly are praying for someone else for whatever reason, he hears you and it's a sweet smelling aroma to him. And that Satan will do whatever he can to stop you from getting closer to God that morning or that night as you are praying to God for whatever reason. Satan will send you the most annoying little squirrel or chipmunk your way to, come to stop you from your morning prayer because you have to go out and get him out of your garden. Or my birds after my strawberries in the morning. I can see them going after my strawberries. Or if you're a mom, you know how it is. As soon as you sit down and you want to read the word and pray, kids always need something. It's, it's not easy to be in the mother ministry. <laughs> and dad, you just want to sit and have peace and quiet. Can I? It's Father's Day. We get one day of the year. Can we at least you know, have peace here? And Satan, I tell you, will send whatever he can distract you from talking to him. Busyness, right? I got work to do. My brothers, I pray that you will push past those distractions and build into your life a disciplined life to pray without ceasing. It'll be like breathing for you. It's for your sake of your life, but your family's life and your children's life. That is your role as a father. That is your role and your responsibility, and God has called you to that ministry. And you must take it seriously. You take your work so seriously. Do you take that role of fatherhood as serious as your job? I hope you get there. That's my prayer for you today. It's Father's Day. But it takes a tremendous responsibility. And God knows that. So pray. He'll give you the power in that prayer time to do the good work that God's called you to do. Amen? Are you with me?
All right. Now, keep in mind, you're not supposed to offer any strange incense. The priests were not permitted to offer God whatever they wanted on the altar of incense. They couldn't come there and just do whatever they wanted to do. They had to come humbly and do exactly what God asked them to do uh, when they burnt the incense. And it was called the altar of incense not because of animal sacrifice or some drink offering that was offered onto that, but it was offered a incense only on this altar. And the altar of incense was not a place of sacrifice, but it was a place for atoning, or, or it was not a place for even the atoning blood. On the day of atonement, Aaron was then, as the high priest, was to take that blood and to sprinkle it on there only once. And that's the only time that God allowed that to happen. The rest of the time, it was just the incense. And prayer is not the place of sacrificial atonement is made. You don't sacrifice it of atonement or one with God at this point. That was done by the animals that were sacrificed at the altar outside of the holy place. That's where the atonement took place. So when it comes into do the incense or here burning of the incense, it was the remembrance or the uh, remembering and the joy that came because of the sacrifice that was done on the altar outside. So the atonement took place, then came in and did the incense, which was the remembrance of the atonement and the forgiveness and the covering of the sin of the people of Israel. You and I, as we pray, we pray because we remember and we rejoice of what God has done in the atonement of bringing us back into relationship with God because of the sacrifice that Jesus has already done for us. We don't go to prayer to sacrifice. You can't do that. We come to rejoice and we're glad and we're the fact that we can boldly come into the throne of God and to lift our voices and sing and tell and say whatever we need to hear from our family father because of the fact that the atonement was already taking place for us to be able to do that because of Jesus Christ on the cross and that is the only way that can happen. So the mentality that happens in Christian circles so many times is, I must make up for all the bad things I've done. So what you do is you work, 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 and it's all good Christian stuff. I'm going to do here, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and if I don't do this, because I have to somehow make, my, make up for the, the, all the wrongs I've done. But let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, that is legalism. That is religiosity. That's a pharisaical mindset. Understand that Jesus paid it what? All. Is it finished? Yes. Now we come and pray because we get to enjoy the atonement, the onement that we have with our Heavenly Father. Now. Are you tracking with me here? So you and I have the freedom to serve our God. We have the freedom to pray and talk to him about everything. We have the freedom to be led by him wherever he wants to go because he is king. He's in control of our lives. He purchased us completely all of our debt. The sins you've committed, the sins you've committed to coming here today, and the sins you will commit in the days to come. 
It's paid for. It's been wiped out. It's clean. They don't, there's no sin in your life. As God looks at your life, he's looking at a life that he's trying to sanctify. If you allow him to do that work in your life, he's sanctifying you for the good works he has and the part of the plan he has for you. And as you lift up your voice in prayer and talk to him about every morning, every night, you as a sweet-smelling aroma, like the incense on the altar. Verse 11, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Well, if you remember, in the book of Numbers, uh, two significant censuses were recorded on the nation of Israel. Here, God made a provision to make a census without being plagued. Why? Well, a census put Israel at risk of a plague for because any time someone numbers something, if someone's in a position to number something, that means that person is in a position of ownership. So what happens is, is God is saying, they're my people, Moses, and I'm asking you to census or count the number of people, my people, and you're the leader that's going to do it for me. And it's right and it's good. We jump ahead into numbers and we know that then... Especially David, when David made a big problem in 2 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 25, David, being all revved up being king, felt like he had the ability to number or do a census. And what happened? God brought a plague upon Israel. Why? Because David at that time claimed to have ownership over God's people. That does not, you, you don't want that happening. <laughs> That's what exactly what they did. Anytime someone steps above their position, in this case God, only God, it's his people, not man's people. Many times people say, how many people come to your church? I have no idea. I don't need to know that. I don't need to count heads. I don't take census how many people came every Sunday. I don't do that. I don't mess with that. Why this? You're God's people. It's a blessing starting a church when there's only four people, five people, right? Kathleen, Heather, me, and then Rich and, and Heather. That was it. <laughs> it was great because it, you, you teach whoever is in front of you. That that's what God's called me to do. It doesn't matter if it's two or three people or it's a, a lot of people. It's your God's people. And you don't have to number them. You don't have to track them. You don't have to take senses of them. You get to just minister to each and every person that God allows you to do. And so God said to the people, to Moses, count the people. But only when God says to count the people, do you count the people. God's in ownership. God's in control. Amen? Verse 13. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 gerhas. 
a half a shekel shall be an offering to the Lord, and everyone including among those who are numbered when 20 years old and above. So they're counting just those who are 20 and above. 20 and above. That means there is some full accountability of adulthoodship at 20. So that just make that note. It's 20 and above here. And shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel. So it doesn't matter if you had a lot of money or you had no money. You gave the same amount. Important to make note here, because again, this is a census to take note of who is 20 above, because they are going to give a ransom money. They're going to give ransom money to God, and they're held accountable to do this. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you have the same what? Ransom payment. Notice that connection, right? Uh, the rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel. And when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the services of the tabernacle of meeting. Notice it. He, they received this money, this ransom money for what? For the service of the tabernacle. Tabernacle. That's what is going to be used to actually build the tabernacle. That's what's going to provide for the high priest and the priest to minister and to come before the people of, the, of, the, of Israel there in the desert here. And that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. So here we have um, where God is making very clear to, uh, to Moses to set this, this, this giving to God's, to God's work is established here uh, in here at the tabernacle so that everyone owes God and everyone is obligated to him to give this half shekel. Now later on we see in Matthew 17, 24 that this half shekel becomes an annual temple tax to continue to maintain the actual temple to, for, the, for the people to gather. But it doesn't matter if you're rich or for poor, this, is, was, the, this was, uh, was to be given to the work of God, and it was important that everyone is equal. It, everyone is equal in this, and everyone has to give the same amount regardless of your status. And they, everyone had to pay their own redemption money here. They had to pay it all because you're held accountable individually. Your family couldn't sit there and say, okay, son, I know you're 20 this year, but I'll, I'll pay it for you. You know how moms come to the rescue because the boys didn't save their money. They didn't work. Dad couldn't come to the rescue and pay for the whole family. The job couldn't pay for it. You were held responsible for that redemption money yourself, and you had to give it to God yourself. You couldn't rely on anybody else or anything else to do that. So this is appointed for the service of the tabernacle of beating. This money was to give to the service of that tabernacle to make it work. And that a large amount of silver needed to build the tabernacle was unbelievable. So imagine the amount of silver that was, came in the form of this half shekel. They approximately four tons of silver would have come in just from the people alone. And you wonder, that's how it was able to be built. And extravagant, it was as beautifully as it was God wanted to be built. 
Verse 17, then we see the next furnishing, the bronze uh, laver. And we see that then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a, a laver of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. And you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it, and Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. And when, you, when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. There's a consequence coming, and you're not clean. <laughs> if you haven't been cleansed, you haven't been clean, there you'll, you'll die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, and they, lest they die, and it shall be a statue forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. So this bronze laver had no specific dimensions given to us, how big and small, whatever that may be. You should have saw the one outside of the western wall um, and in Jerusalem. It was right there. So for you to be able to funnel through to get to the wall, they had to stop by, uh, the Jewish people had to stop by and wash their hands before they could go to to the western wall to, to pray right there still happening today so here it is there's no dimension but it's essentially a pool of ceremonial washings of their hands and their feet and it's set in this bra brazen altar in a tent of meaning because it was inside the uh, the the tent structure but it was outside of the actual holy uh, and the most holy of places so can you imagine you walk in it has this huge sacrifice because there's huge altar and animals are being slayed and you have animal blood everywhere the stench must have been incredible because you're in the middle of a hot place and death of animals sacrificing and blood going everywhere and so now these high priests just had their they're up to their up you know, of, of blood splatters everywhere. And they're now to go to inside the holy place. So God says, you now need to be cleansed. So they go to this lavier and there's water and they wash their hands and their feet to cleanse them before they go into the holy place. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You can't just come into a holy place unless you've been first, what? Cleansed. Do you see the connection? And so we see that the priest must be certain to wash after the sacrifice and the blood ritual because if they do not, they could die for not being cleansed prior to going into the psalm. Psalm 24, 3 and 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? But he who has cleaned hands and pure heart. That's what he's speaking. The psalmist says that's what he's speaking of right there. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, what did he say to them? He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, John 13, 10. And when Jesus was speaking there, and as we come to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 6.11, when we come to Jesus, what? We're initially cleansed because of him. But we must not only be cleansed and forgiven, 
And after you're forgiven, after you've been born again, after your sins have been completely washed clean by his blood, you and I need to continue to come to him daily. Why? Because you need to come continually being washed because of the dust and the dirt and the mud that the, this world will splash all over you. So you and I must come back daily and have our feet and, uh, be cleansed and washed over by the Spirit of God because we must keep the dirt and the filth and the mud of this world away from us. We see this so clearly in Ephesians 5, 26, when we see the, the importance of how you get washed daily. And the scripture tells us the washing of the water by the word of God is how you stay clean. People say, how do you deal with the stuff that goes on in this word, in this world? Stay in the word of God and stay cleansed and washed and clean so that the filth of this world will not impact you. Then we see the holy anointing oil here in verses 22 through 33. Hold on. This is an incredible picture and it points to Jesus. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself quality spices. So he's giving Moses the actual formula, the temple formula for this incense, or this, for this oil and incense. So don't miss this. This is exactly how they were to do the formula. They're not to mess with the recipe, right? Cannot mess with the recipe. You can't add lib in your recipe, okay? 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, or 250 shekels. 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane. 500 shekels of cassa, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and in a hin of oil, uh, olive oil, and you sh shall make from these a holy anointing oil, and an anointment compound according to the art of the perfumer. The art of the perfumer. This is incredible when you see this, this teaching, just like we saw last week. And it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, and lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the lavier and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it. Notice that. You are not to do any substitute and have some knockoffs here. I got a Gucci really real. But then you got this guy over here. Have you been in New York City and got the knockoff Gucci? You know what I'm saying? They're not they're supposed to be happening here. They were to make it, and there was only one way to make it, and only can have it that way, and no one can substitute this. Why? Let me tell, I'll talk to you about, I'll, we'll say that a little bit more here. 
Uh, where did I leave off here? And you, you shall anoint, okay, blah, blah, blah. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This is, it shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generation, and it shall not be poured on man's flesh again, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compo compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. So this oil was used for anointing the priests and the articles, all the furnishings within the tabernacle pertaining to service. And it was regarded as a sacred compound that could not be imitated nor used in any other normal perfuming oil. Can you imagine today? Can you imagine if you had this formula? People would sit there and go, I'm making it by the batches, man. Come and buy. It's, it's only $5.99 today. If you call me today and you can have this anointing oil, if you will give to the ministry and help us to stay on air. You know, it's just, it's a crazy, but it happens even today, does it not? It's exactly what's happening, and God warned the people, you are not to do this. Don't be creating some anointing oil and then try to make it so you can smell like the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. You don't make this and say, take this oil and you can become a Christian. It's craziness that goes on today, and God warned it even back then, the, the nature of man who tries to substitute and to do it their own way to, to, to make it. There is one way, and only one way. And God made it very clear here as well with this oil. And this oil was a symbolic and symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we see that the Holy Spirit is not poured out to enhance our flesh, but to glorify himself, Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. The oil is a representation and a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And you and I cannot take the Holy Spirit and create something that's like the Holy Spirit and do it to bring glorification to yourself. When the Holy Spirit moves, Jesus gets all credit. The Heavenly Father is the only one who is to be praised and no glory and no praise and honor is to give to no man. But what happens today? Oh, he's anointed. The Spirit is all over him. We need to have all kinds of smoke rising up so people think the Holy Spirit is moving here. So get the, get the machines cranked up here. Get the dry ice. It's hot. No, we are not to create the Holy Spirit in any form or fashion in your own mind. The Holy Spirit doesn't need your help. The only thing that stops the Holy Spirit of moving is our sin that is unrepentant. That's what grieves the Holy Spirit of moving in your life and amongst us. Is just grieving of the Holy Spirit because of sin. We must repent. We must stay clean. 
We must let the, what, the word of God wash upon you daily to keep you clean and, and not longer spotted any longer than you have to be from the junk that you had to endure through the day. And some of that could be okay, right? Because God has called you into places in this world that you're going to get spotted just by walking into work. Because you're called to go do work on the streets. And if you're going to get spotted immediately because of the people that's going to come and you're trying to minister to. And you're going to get spotted and you're going to hear things and see things that are just nasty and dark. But that's why you get into the word of God and allow him to cleanse you and to keep you washed so it doesn't affect you. And you won't be taking upon those things in your life again. You will not go back to the old life. You'll continue to walk with him, be cleansed, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work. Are you with me? Are you with me? It's so important. The Holy Spirit is never to be imitated. There is to be no place for encouraging a man-made imitation of a spiritual gifts or any spiritual operations of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely none. If you do this, you deny the holiness of the Holy Spirit and what he can do in and through someone's life. Only the Holy Spirit can change a person. So when you sit there and you say, oh yes, you need God and you need this program, I have it and it's perfect. I've created it. Let me give you the 10-step rule. You are substituting the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work in a person's life. You're hindering them. We must not touch it. Amen? Now the holy incense. And the Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stack, and anica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each, and you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony uh, in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you, and it shall be... The, be most holy to you, but as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourself according to its composition. It shall be to you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So like the oil, the incense as well, there's a very specific formula and it was only supposed to be used for the burning of the incense for God and God alone. And that there was a very clear of how they were to do it and when they are to do it and all the things there. And he says, and with a great warning, I know it's going to be such a great smell. Don't be tempted to turn around and try to create it yourself. And to make sure it smells like and, 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 and makes you smell and your house smells just like the tabernacle. And it's so godly, right? I want to have this godly feel to it in my house. And all kinds of stuff that people can try to rationalize. But God said, no, you cannot do this. God couldn't sit there and say this is a sacred 
incense. It's sacred to me. It symbolizes the sweetness of prayer. And you're not to alter it and change it in any human way to bring attraction or adornment or bring self-attention to you. It's so important. Can you imagine what that place must have smelt like with all the sacrifice of animals on the altar and the burning? That the incense would bring a sweet-smelling aroma to take and cover the stench of the sacrifice? Do you realize God's the prayer and the, and the incense of our prayer going to God really cleanses the stench that needs to be cleansed, that needs to be taken out, the stench that may be attached to your, to your life at times. Come to his word, go in prayer, and watch God refresh you. Because there's times, <laughs> sorry to say, I can tell you stink. You ever been across someone? Just listening to their life and where they've been and what they've done? They stink. They stink. And they really need to be what? Cleansed and anointed by the Spirit. So the oil of the fragrance of the oil and the burning of the incense in prayer they, they smell like a new car. It's just beautiful. It's just this great smell, right? And then we see in chapter 31, verse 1 through 6 here, the call to a couple of guys here. Is, and then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Remember, this is, this is incredible. I, when it just hit me. This week, here is a man named Hur. If you remember back in Exodus 17, he was one of them that was what? Being used by God to raise one of the arms of Moses while they were fighting the Amalekites, remember? Here's a man, a godly man used by God. He raises a son named Uri, who then raises a son of Bezalel. And God is going to use his grandson, for tremendous work in the ministry. Fathers, I'm telling you, Father's Day, this is not a better message for you. Your life and generation upon generation in your life can bring about God using your grandson or your sons to do great things for God. Look at this, what happens. And I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all the matter of workmanship to design the artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cunning jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all matter of workmanship. And I, indeed, I have appointed uh, with him Aholilib, I think is how you say it, the son of uh, Ash. Ashamach, and, and, and of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all who are gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. Not only is what God called Moses and Aaron and his sons 
to do for God was sacred and incredibly appointed by God to do that ministry work. But notice in the scriptures that God sees also those he is called to do work in support of that ministry. In this case, creating and developing the tabernacle itself and all the furnishings and all of the incense and all these things made of gold and silver and all of this. He sees that as equally as a value. To the point where he's taking them and giving, again, I'll say it from last week and this week. He's filled you with the Spirit of God to do the work that he's called you to do in your profession. And if it means your your profession is to work with gold or work with silver or work with cutting of jewels or working in workmanship of building artistic works whatever it is that God has called you to do you must ask for God to come in the spirit of God to give you the all wisdom and knowledge and understanding in the matter of the workmanship he's called you to do to go out there and find a job and say I'll just fill in the job no big deal I'll learn as I go you are cutting yourself so short in doing a great working for God in the work that he's called you to do you want to be blessed ask for the spirit of God to fill you with his wisdom and knowledge and understanding to do the work and you will see you will be able to do things beyond anybody else around you and everyone will be in amazement what you're able to accomplish in the same 24-7 that they have. Are you, are you tracking with me here? Same God is yesterday, is today, and forevermore. You must remember this. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men. Colossians 3.23. There you have it in the New Testament. For the, some of you who are still struggling with this Old Testament teaching, and how does that relate to the New Testament? I just gave it to you. Now can you rest? Are you able to rest now? Are you with me now? Do it all heartily to the Lord. That is how you will receive his wisdom and power to do and then the, verses 7 through 11, the tabernacle meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the, of the tabernacle, the t- table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings with all of its utensils and all the lavier and its base and the garments of ministry, the holy garments of, for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons, the ministry as a priest, the anointing oil and the sweet incense of the holy place, According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. I love this. This is like the world today. You're going you're gonna to do a speech today. You're going to get up in front of everybody. And you're going to say, this is what I'm going to tell you today. You told them. And at the end, you're going to tell them what you just told them. Right? That's the classic way of doing a speech today. Right? If you go to Toastmasters, that's what you teach you. Where do you think they must have got it from? That's what God just did to us. In the very beginning of the tabernacle, he said, this is what you're going to do. He told us everything we've done for the last two weeks of studying of every single element. And what does he do at the very end of here? As he's closing it up with Moses, what does he do? Let me remind you, Moses, of everything I just told you what you're to go build. And he summarized it right here in verses 7 through 11. It just seems like God is like, I do not want you to forget anything I've been telling you over the last 40 days. Don't forget any of this because you've wrote it all down. It's one thing 
that you, you know, the, the Ten Commandments, I'll take care of that. But you have to write down these other things as well because these are the details you're going to go down and build with your people at the end. And no, not, not, not even that. I gave you instructions. I'm going to raise people up in the ministry with you who are going to be art of perfumers. And you're going to be workmanship people who are going to have such power and abilities to make all this stuff. You don't have to worry about it, Moses. Just do what I ask you to do. Lead these people, and I will raise these people up to do the actual work with you. You just have to lead them. Because I called you to be the leader. I will raise the people up to do the work. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't the word of God so beautiful? Brilliant in giving us the understanding of what we can do in our world today as we go and do the things that God's called us to do? Are you with me? Are you tracking me here? I got only four more minutes here. I got it. I'm going to wrap it up here. So the last one here, verses 12 through 17. We're summarizing here. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Notice that. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. What is sanctification? Change. Who can change you? Only God can change you. Don't ever think you can change someone. I know husbands always think they can change their wives. But I'm telling you, husbands, you can't change your wives. Guys, that was for you. You like that one? You like that one? I liked I know you did. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes, it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. They're going to be, they'll be shunned out. If they mess with the oils, uh, content, you mess with the incense, they are to be ousted out. They cannot be in fellowship. They are going against God. That is not good fellowship. If you're hanging with people, go against God. Same thing right here. Um, and again, and when they start messing with this and they're profane, they're going to experience death here. And they, again, they'll be cut off from the, his, his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generation as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So here again, not only does... God summarized for Moses everything he is supposed to go do and build as he leads people to do that, that God is equipped to do it. But then he brings them right back to what's most important, and that is what? Keep the Sabbath. For you and I, keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't care how busy and how all these things you're doing for God is all good, godly things that God's called you to do. You can get yourself all twisted up and be focused on the work and not on the person who actually is going to give you the power and the ability and the knowledge to do the work. So even though you're going to go build this tabernacle and all of the stuff that they had to do, that wasn't light work. You know what I'm saying? Melting all that gold <laughs> and pouring it on and making all this... Do not lose focus. You must 
Keep the Sabbath day. You work hard for six days, but Moses, do not let the people work on that Sunday or that, that day of Sabbath. They are not to work. That is to be completely devoted to me, focused on me, worshiping me, getting re renewed, refreshed. That must happen. And God made sure to tell Moses, don't forget what's most important, and it's my relationship between you and me. My brothers and sisters, do not get so wrapped up in doing the things of God that you lose track of who you serve and who gives you the ability and the calling to do this. You must rest. You must rest and give time for God and you to, he can talk to you. <laughs> Spend time, you're too busy, we won't hear so this commandment, very strategically placed here by God himself to remind him, yes, you're going to go build, but do not forget, and this does not substitute the Sabbath. You cannot justify, I know that this is all good for God, and that's why I have to work on the Sabbath. I have to be busy. I'm behind. No. There is no compromising here. And even through the whole new covenant, we are not bound by the Sabbath. Remember, we're not bound by the Sabbath. If you go back to Romans 14.5 and Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, the principle is still important. Our rest is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the work for Jesus is never eclipsed by the work for God. Let me say that again. The work of God for Jesus, what he's called you to do, does not eclipse, does not cover the what, that relationship he wants you to have with him. And you must keep that relationship, number one, his work, number two. Are you with me? If not, you're going to get out of balance. And what happens, and I've seen it so many times in the ministry, people will come and will do great things for God, and then eventually I hear two things. The first step is I start hearing little signs. I feel really burned out in this ministry. I really feel burned out doing this particular thing in the ministry or, or doing this for God. I really feel burned out. That is words of saying that you have been doing work as a higher priority than the relationship with the one who called you to do it. And so because you've relied upon your own strength and your own wisdom and not trusting anything, you are becoming burnt out because you have nothing to give. You and I can't do the work that he's called you to do on an empty stomach. You can do it for a while, but eventually you're going to what? Collapse. So you must, my brothers and sisters, you must be, the relationship must be number one, and let him energize you, empower you, and equip you, and feed you to go out each day to do the work he's called you to do. Are you with me? And how many times... We start off well, and then we turn to the flesh to try to keep it going. Because we think the work of God is bigger than in our minds than what it should be. Or trusting in our own strength versus what God's trying to do through your life. <laughs> you must let him do it through your life. And then finally, verse 18. Yes, we, uh, finally. You know how preachers are. They keep, you know, finally, finally, finally. My first finally, okay? It's my first finally. I can do two more at least. I think that's a rule of pre pre preachers. I can finally, finally. No, anyway. 
And when he had made an end of speaking, there, that's a good term right there, end of speaking, Pastor, please, end of speaking, with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So at the very end, he then finally hands Moses the two tablets that he wrote on with his finger of those ten, two, of those ten commandments. So many times we often say that something can be changed because it's not written in stone. Guess what? These were written in stone. So they can't change. Are you with me? They can't change them. God wrote it himself. How did that happen? Right? Did Moses see him literally take his finger, however that would be, and etch it on the stones right in front of him? I can't wait to ask Moses when I get to heaven. What was it like to receive these stones written by God himself and handed to say, take it down to my people? Oh, can't wait. Soon and very soon, amen? And remember, these two tablets will be put in that Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant that's in the most holy place that they, God, God told them to go build, along with the, the two other elements eventually, the Aaron's rod that budded and the jar of manna representing God's provision will be put in that same Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony. Now, going forward, as we continue in Exodus, we're going to see something interesting. We're going to see, uh, according to Moses' account there in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 12 through 16, the Lord informed him that the people had become corrupt and stiff-necked by casting an idol in the shape of a calf. So we know that while he's up there for 40 days, frivolously writing all the details down, <laughs> these guys go rogue, and Aaron, and Aaron did not, wasn't leading well down there. And uh, they ended up, oh, just happened, the gold just happened to build into a calf. And then we started dancing and worshiping around it. Amazing. Amazing. May the Lord bless you all.